Hello, hello, hello. It's Tuesday. You know what that means. It's time for another college football theme episode of the Big D Podcast. Before I bring in my special guest, please subscribe, like, and share the uh, Spunky Spectrum Sports YouTube page. We can see all my greatest content. And don't forget to check out the Big D Podcast on Spotify and Apple. So joining us is the only guy who saw the, the Chicago Bears and Detroit Lions play on Thanksgiving. Alabama and Auburn in the Iron Bowl. And the L.A. Rams take on the Green Bay Packers and Lambeau. David Moulton. David, uh, did I get everything right? Uh, just just a week in the life, yes. Uh, it, it beats working. Yeah, how, how would you like to how would you like to be Troy Aikman and uh, Gary Danielson spot up in the booth? We saw you almost as much as the broadcasters themselves. Well, take it take it easy now. But uh, it, Fox has a thing where they try to put everybody on screen who's working the game since we're away from our families on Thanksgiving. And then before I joined the crew in the booth, they had decided that on Thanksgiving they would wear blazers. And they didn't tell me the first year I was with them, so I was the only one who showed up in the booth without a blazer. Uh, but the last three years, I, I remembered I need a sport coat. Yeah. Okay, so uh, as you know, it seems like college football coaches have been going everywhere and anywhere the last three or four days. And uh, last night, we all were shocked when Brian Kelly, the Notre Dame head coach, took his talents to Baton Rouge, Louisiana and became the new LSU coach. What were you thinking when you heard of Mr. Kelly leading South Bend? I was a little surprised because LSU had reached out to him six weeks ago when they let Orgeron go, and he had politely said no. So I think we all just figured he was staying. But there were a couple of common denominators here that Brian Kelly and um, – Lincoln Riley, both at the same agent. So you had LSU and USC both going through Trace Armstrong. And that's why nothing got out. I mean, as long as Trace Armstrong and his agency didn't say anything, then, you know, nothing would get out. And obviously they didn't. The word is that Lincoln Riley preferred USC. So that left LSU to try to pursue Brian Kelly. Maybe it was just the 10 million versus him making reportedly around five at Notre Dame. That was the difference. Don't know. I do know he can win a national championship at LSU because the last three coaches all have, whereas he's doing a pretty damn tremendous job at Notre Dame. And while he's been in two playoffs and he played for the national title nine years ago, it's harder to win one at Notre Dame. And I'm guessing the combination of, hey, I got a real shot to win a title versus everything would absolutely have to line up to win one at Notre Dame and the money. I mean, don't forget about the money. Even Brian Kelly, who was asked on November 22nd uh, at his press conference, and he said, well, you know, I, I don't think I'm going anywhere, but if somebody backs up a truck for $250 million, you know, I, I don't think my wife will let me stay. And it wasn't two fifty, but it was $100. And, um, you know, Maybe that was enough. Something to keep in mind, D, is that, you know, beginning two years from now, three years, whenever it's going to be, you know, the playoff format's going to change. 
And while Notre Dame may get into the playoff more, remember, what's being talked about is top four conference champions get buys. Well, Notre Dame's not in a conference. And their AD, Jack Swarbrick, who's on the committee to come up with a new playoff format, was asked during the summer, hey, you okay with never having a bye week and really struggling even to get home games? And he said, yeah, we're fine with that. So, you know, as it is now, Brian Kelly, it was hard just to get in the playoff and win two games. Going forward, he'll have an easier time making the playoff, but he'll have to win three. And actually four. Yeah, because it would almost be like the old school NFL format where the top four seeds would get buys and everybody right. else is playing in right. this wild card week. Oh. Right. Where at, at LSU, one, he's probably got as good a chance to make the playoff as he does at Notre Dame. But two, he's got a chance to get a buy and then have multiple home games. And also at LSU – He's got a chance to get anybody he wants because at Notre Dame with the academic restrictions, there's no way and you know what he'll get, he's getting some of these LSU athletes. Like you think of who's like a, who was the LSU? You think Jamal Chase and uh, Justin Jefferson would have gone to South Bend, Indiana? Uh, I think not. Well, I will say he has recruited Louisiana effectively at Notre Dame and he finished second at Notre Dame for this five-star quarterback who ultimately chose LSU. So, you know, he's had top 10, top 12 recruiting classes at Notre Dame. Think about what you can do at LSU. So, yes, it's going to be easier. There's no question about it. Where does that leave Notre Dame? Because to me, the number one guy for the job has got to be Lou Fick. I mean, he's doing a great job in Cincinnati, 12-0. and 12-0, and got a real opportunity of winning – going 13-0 and maybe becoming the first group of five team making the playoff. Is Luke Fickle who you're hearing or will the average looking at maybe, I can't believe I'm saying this, Urban Meyer maybe? I don't think Urban's realistic, to be honest. I Listen, Fickle's the guy. The word is he wants the job. But if you're Luke Fickle, think about the dilemma that you may have in five, six days. If you make the playoff, are you really going to leave Cincinnati? I mean, there's 26 days from making the playoff to the national semifinals. Are you really going to be the head coach of Notre Dame during those 26 days while preparing Cincinnati for a national semifinal? I mean, sometimes the timing is just awful, just awful. And the opportunity is a great one. But I don't know if Luke Fickle can leave Cincinnati. And I don't think Notre Dame will say, yeah, we'll wait four weeks. We're good. Not when the transfer portal and early signing period is all mid-December. I really wonder if Luke Fickle, if they lose or they, are not, they don't make the playoff for whatever reason, I think Luke Fickle will be the Notre Dame head coach within a week of, from today. But if they win, and I expect them to then make the playoff, D, I don't know if he can leave Cincinnati. It's a very awkward situation. Yeah, I mean, we've seen coordinators leave. I mean, Lane Kiffin left to be the FAU, but came back and, like, coach Alabama. Dan Mullins come back. Like, 
left Florida the first time to be the Mississippi State head coach. Other guys, Salk left Alabama. Right. But like you head. said, it, it's one thing to be a coordinator getting promoted to head coach. It's another thing to technically be the head coach at two different places at the same time. And oh, by the way, uh, you're in a national semifinal. I mean, can he really serve either school well? No, no. No, I mean, he may serve on the 60, 70, 80%, but he's not going to serve either school at 100%. And can he really do that to his guys at Cincinnati? I mean, every single guy on the team is there because of him. I mean, can he really leave them? when they've made the playoff. I, I I don't think he'd do it. I think he would just say, hey, timing is everything in life. And, you know, I'm staying. And we're going to try to win a national championship and join the Big 12. And then he'll wait to see if and when the Michigan and Ohio State jobs open up. Although those jobs are not looking like they're open anytime soon, but that's so refreshing. Hey. Hey, none of us saw Jim Tressel on Memorial Day weekend back in, what was that, 2011? 2011. Yeah. yeah. They win the Sugar Bowl. They end the 2010 season. They finish in the top five. And all of a sudden, five months later, he's resigning Memorial Day weekend because of a tattoo controversy. So, you know, it's college, it's big-time college sports, D. Anything can happen. Yeah, and uh, maybe the – Maybe one of the, I'm not sure he was the first domino, but uh, how about Lincoln Riley leaving Norman, Oklahoma to become the USC head coach? Uh, a, do you think Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma because he knows it will be harder for you to win in the SEC? And B, can Lincoln Riley succeed sooner at SC than he did at Oklahoma? Well, Stoops left them stacked when he walked into the job in 2017. I mean, Oklahoma, Bob Stoops took care of Lincoln Riley. It's why, by the way, if you watch Bob Stoops' reaction on Monday, Bob Stoops was not happy with Lincoln Riley. You could tell. He didn't elaborate, but the tone in his voice and what he said you knew deep down Bob Stoops was thinking, really? I handed you Oklahoma on better than a silver platter, locked, loaded, and ready to go. And you leave in five years? You were at East Carolina calling plays seven years ago. Are you serious, dude? That, that's what I got from Bob Stoops when he and the AD met the media on Monday. But listen, we saw with Pete Carroll, I mean, if you get the USC train rolling, there ain't nothing west of the Mississippi to stop you. Nothing. So, yeah, I think he can win and win big and win quickly. Pete Carroll had one six and six year. And the next year they finished third in the country. And after that, the dynasty started. So remember, Nick had one seven and six season. And then he got the train rolling. Yeah, this is a job in which give him a year. I mean, hell, he's already had five D commits from California and Oklahoma alone who are probably going to sign with him. Never mind the transfer portal. Yeah, the USC is going to be back quickly. 
Yeah, because if you look at the Pac-12, it's basically Oregon, Southern Cal, and everybody else. Well, it's Southern Cal and everybody else. The Southern <laughs> Cal is their act together. No, it, I mean, it just is. I mean, it is. They, you know, Bob Ryan joked when Pete Carroll had it going at USC that this is how the conversation goes. One of the assistants says, you know, we're a little thin at tailback. And Pete goes, really? And he opens up the window in his office and he yells, hey, we need a tailback. And four guys come running. All right. Well, I mean, you, they don't have to go very far to put a top five team together, never mind if they actually recruit outside their area. Well, yeah. I mean, look at all the quarterbacks playing or having great years, not at SC. I mean, uh, Bryce Young, CJ yep. Stroud, uh, Caleb Williams, who may be the USC quarterback, depending on where he goes. I mean, what do you think happens with Caleb Williams? Does he stay in Norman or does he go with Lincoln Riley? My guess is he stays, but Rattler's already entered the transfer portal. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, Oklahoma will be fine. They'll get a really good coach. It's a tremendous job. It is. It's not the USC job, though. I mean, it's just not. USC is one of the top five jobs in the sport. Oklahoma is one of the top ten. There's a difference. I've, I've heard I've heard Brent Venables could be the next OU head coach. He makes a lot of sense because he was the D.C. under Stoops forever. Seems like he's been at, like, Norman for 10 years and Clemson for 10 years. I think he'd make a lot of sense. Well, also, the AD, Joe Castiglione, has not had a problem handing the job to a coordinator who's never been a head coach before. Because the last two coaches are Bob Stoops and Lincoln Riley, and not neither one of them had been a head coach before because, and were highly touted coordinators. So Stoops you know, was the D.C. with Florida in 96 for that national championship squad, and right. Ron was the O.C. under with Baker in 15. When did Riley take the job? 16 or 17? Well, well, Riley did, I think, two years with Stoops as his offense coordinator. And then they turn the program over to him. But the point is that, you know, Joe Castiglione, who's one of the best ADs in the country, he is okay with giving it to someone who's never been a head coach before if he feels that this is the next guy. And so I would think Venables is on a real short list. I believe Mark Stoops just re-upped with Kentucky, reconfigured his deal. So some had wondered whether or not Mark would take the gig. If you were a brother, would you really want to follow your brother at a school? I wouldn't. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure that would be my, I'm not sure that would be my plan A, especially when you're going to join the SEC in a couple of years. You're already in the conference. Yep. It'll be fascinating to see what they do with the SEC also, D. I mean, Will they just keep it east and west? Because if they do, if Oklahoma and Texas join the west, the west is loaded So with too many teams. So now the Alabama schools, if you go by geography, would have to join the east. And Missouri would then flip to the west, and that's how you get eight and eight. Or are they going to go with these four 14 pods, at which point Oklahoma is going to be in the same pod with Texas, Texas A&M, and probably Missouri. I actually have got a solution to that. Put Arkansas in the East because then you've got the Alabama rivalry. You've got both Mississippi schools. 
You've got both Texas schools, LSU and Oklahoma. It's too, it's too top heavy. I mean, you think about the Rolls Royce programs, if you will, that are on one side. Okay. And you're going to have Missouri and Arkansas play in the East. I mean, just go by geography, split the conference in half. You got eight on one side, eight on the other. I mean, you got Alabama, Georgia, Florida on the one side. You got Oklahoma, Texas, LSU, A&M on the other. We're good. Let's go and, play. And one other thing. Yes, she's going to have a nine-game conference season. There's no way you can have eight with 16 teams. It, de- it depends. If they keep it eight and eight, they could stay with eight, in which everybody plays everybody, and then you have one crossover game. If they go to the four 14 pods, they will jump to a nine game schedule. It works out from a scheduling standpoint better that way. Yeah. So while we're on the SEC train, how about Billy Napier becoming the new Florida head coach? How do you think he'll fare in Gainesville? Because to me, I've heard a lot of interesting views of Napier. I mean, I've heard he's. He's more of a recruiter than Dan Mullen was. It seemed like more, more Dan, Dan was a player developer than a recruiter. Is that what you're hearing with Napier? Yes. Napier runs a program. He's copied it after Nick Saban in Alabama. He worked under Dabo. He worked under Nick. And he has done at Louisiana. He's run it exactly the way that Nick would run it. And that's his thing. He is a relentless recruiter. He's young. This is the natural progression. An assistant under great coaches, successful programs. He then goes, does his own thing for four years. Louisiana had never had a 10-win regular season in all the years they played football. He's just had three in a row. And he's playing for the conference championship. This is the natural progression. If he doesn't work out, it'll be surprising because he's been wildly successful at every stop along the career train. And maybe it's just, maybe it's just a different voice because Florida fans are probably sick and tired of Nick Saban and Kirby Smart and all these guys stealing their recruits from Florida. I mean, as Florida recruiting has – I mean, Florida, Florida, St. Miami are like, okay recruiting, but they've got to be better with how many recruits are in the state of Florida. I think Mike Norvell, if you pay attention to recruiting, is doing a really good job considering the situation he walked into, how unsuccessful they've been, a pandemic year. I, I think Norville's doing a tremendous job on the trail. The problem is their program was the worst of the three that you just mentioned by a lo- wide margin. Listen, Bud Elliott of 24-7 Sports has documented it for years now. The number of five-star players in Florida who don't go to school in Florida. And Florida, for whatever reason, is losing more than half of their five-star recruits to schools out of the state. That clearly has to stop. And Billy Napier, who's an excellent recruiter, You know, Manny Diaz is trying to keep some of those South Florida kids home. He thinks he thinks he's starting to crack that nut and he's going to have a good recruiting year. We'll see, D. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, Dan Mullen, I think, is a brilliant 
brilliant game coach and offensive mind. But at the end of the day, as Michael Irvin has famously said, it ain't about the X's and the O's. It's about the Jimmys and the Joes. So uh, now on the championship Saturday and uh, thinking about these championship games, first with the Big 12, if if Oklahoma State beats Baylor, they're in the playoff, right? Well, depending on what happens in Atlanta, maybe. Yeah, there's a couple of flies in the ointment. The one is, I think, for both Cincinnati and Oklahoma State, they need Georgia to win. Mm, I mean, if Georgia wins, I think most of us feel that Alabama, Ohio State, teams like that, they'll say, you know, you guys are really talented. Probably should be in the playoff, but you screwed it up, so you're staying home. And it would be Georgia, Michigan, Cincinnati, Oklahoma State. But, you know, with the type of season that we've had, D, not much has gone according to form. I mean, you know, Pitt and Wake Forest is the ACC championship game. I think one of them was picked fourth and the other was picked fifth. On their side, on their side in the ACC by the media and the coaches. You know, Oklahoma State was picked fourth. Baylor was picked eighth in the Big 12. They're playing in the Big 12 championship game. You know, we go right on down the list here. Uh, I mean, this has been – we haven't had a season like this in a while. It's been kind of fun. Yeah, it's kind of different seeing different – it's kind of unique seeing all these different teams in the playoff discussion. So – I mean, think about it. Michigan had never been in the Big Ten title game. Michigan. Hadn't even won the – been this close to the Big Ten since Chad well, in what, 2000? No, no, no. Remember the game with the controversial spot in overtime? Oh, yeah, 2016. 2016. So, you know, they that spot goes the right way. They win the East. So, but, but the- I mean, Michigan State had been in the East twice and won the Big Ten title. Iowa had been in the game before. You know, Penn State has won the Big Ten championship game. Michigan hadn't even been in the game. Nebraska made the Big Ten title game. So, it's been a fun year. Yep. So, to the game you'll be at, the SEC championship, uh, we know Georgia wins there, and even if a Georgia loss, they're probably making, making the playoff, right? You know, I've thrown this out there. If Georgia, were, for whatever reason, it's an awful day, everything goes wrong. They lose 35-10. Are they in? And most people I've asked that to have kind of hemmed and hawed and said yes. So if that's the case, if that's the nightmare scenario, Georgia just has an awful day. It all goes wrong. 35-10, they lose. Are they in? If your answer is yes, then Georgia's in. I never, th- I never thought about Georgia being blown out, though, because if that happened, Georgia's best win, uh, who would Georgia's best win be against right now? Maybe Clemson, Arkansas, maybe? Well, the only team that's ranked right now that they've beaten is uh, Clemson. And, yes, Arkansas technically ranked. So they've, they've got two wins against teams that are currently ranked. 
it'll be interesting, especially if everybody else, if Michigan, Cincinnati, and Oklahoma State win. Well, then it would see the reason why I think they'd be in. Okay, you'd have Alabama, you'd have Michigan, you'd have Oklahoma State, you'd have Cincinnati. You'd have to put all four in ahead of them. Okay, you can justify that. But that's the nightmare scenario for Georgia. If for whatever reason, you know, it's almost like we expect, like last year, the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Anybody think they were going to get destroyed? No. You know, you might even thought Tampa was going to win, but you didn't think they'd destroy them. That's, to me, the only scenario that I can even come up with where they're out. So what will be the key to the SC championship game? Because to me, Alabama has got to protect Bryce Young and can't let him run around like he did. Alabama cannot let Bryce Young run for his life against Georgia's defensive line. Right. Alabama's got a real problem in this game. First off. Yeah, Brian Robinson's not healthy. Well, but even if he was healthy, this is a below average running game for Alabama in past years. And the likelihood is they were not going to be able to run the ball against Georgia with Brian Robinson. So can a one-dimensional team do enough offensively to beat what we think is a great defense? You figure the answer is no. So to me, the only way for Alabama to win, you know, we all turnovers, you know, a big special teams play, what have you. But if we're just having what we think is a normal game, Alabama's defense has to do to Georgia what Auburn's defense just did to Alabama. It's got to be Alabama's defense's day. And I will say this, Bama's run defense has been pretty good this year. And if they're going to have any chance in this game, they've got to stop the Georgia run and put the game in Stetson Bennett, the fourth's hands. They've got one elite pass rusher. Maybe they send some guys after him, try to make them uncomfortable. I don't think Georgia's receivers are great. I think Alabama can play a lot of man coverage and roll the dice and hope that it's their day defensively. They drag this game out, D. Remember, all the pressure's on Georgia. Everybody thinks the pressure's on Alabama because they have to win to get in. People don't realize this is the mountain for Georgia. This is the team that Kirby left Alabama to beat. All right. They have been at this. This is Kirby's sixth year. They have lost some gut-wrenching games to Alabama for an (laughs) SEC championship, for a national championship. This is the mountain they can't climb. And if the game gets dragged on into the second half, even if Alabama's losing by three or four points, they'll be standing across the line of scrimmage looking at the Georgia players just kind of smiling at them like, we got you right where we want you. You all know what happens from here, don't you? We win. That's yeah. what we do. And if, it ever, and if this game ever turned into a shootout, who would you rather have throwing the ball, Stetson Bennett or Bryce Young? I, no, I don't think Georgia 
I don't think Georgia will let that happen. But what Alabama, I think, wants to do is just slow play the game and then hope that between their quarterback and their two elite receivers, that they'll have a chance in the fourth quarter to make one or two plays to steal the game. I mean, Alabama's an underdog for the first time in six years. Last time, yep, Alabama has not been an underdog in a game since they faced Georgia the first weekend of October in 2015 when they were like a one-point underdog at kickoff. And they won that game. They won that game by four touchdowns. (laughs) And that game was over at halftime. So, you know, Alabama gets to play the underdog card. All the pressure internally is on Georgia. I mean, I think Georgia's going to whack them. I really do. I think it's going to be 34-10. I think Georgia's going to overwhelm them. They're going to get years of frustration out. And, you know, I think Georgia's just – I think Bryce Young is going to be running for his life 13 seconds into this game. But it will be interesting if the Alabama defense can come up with the type of effort that we saw Minnesota's defense, all right, that we saw Auburn's defense, that we saw all of the rivalry games that were phenomenal last Saturday. Who's to say Alabama now doesn't flip the script? Uh, what percentage of the crowd will be wearing a bulldog gear? Because I'm thinking it'll be like 70, 75, 25 for Georgia. It won't be because, uh, trust me, it'll be very close to 50-50. You know, this will be the third Alabama-Georgia SEC championship game that I've, I've been a part of, either third or fourth. And every time the crowd's been kind of like a Florida Georgia crowd, pretty much split down the middle. But when Alabama and Georgia played that national title, it was more Georgia fans than anything. Because Georgia hadn't played for the title in 35 years. And so dog fans paid more money than Bama fans did. But this will, there'll probably be a few more Georgia fans, but I'll be surprised if it's more than 60 40. I mean, trust me. You know, Alabama fan, they planned this trip the year before. I mean, this is a rite of passage to them. This is the 13th game on their schedule. They're shocked when they're not going to Atlanta. True. I mean, Alabama fans might as well well just book their trip, and Georgia fans might as well just stay from last week. So Yeah, I mean, the joke is you might as well get a timeshare in Atlanta. <laughs> you will this weekend. Well, I'm hoping it's a day trip. I'd like I'd like to sleep in my own bed Saturday night. We'll see. Yeah, so um, now on to the uh, Big Ten title game. And a great story this year. Jim Hallball finally getting the monkey off his back and beating the Ohio State on Saturday. And uh, now Michigan gets its state in the big, finally gets its state in the Big Ten title game with Iowa. Is this Michigan's year? Can Iowa cause another shocker in the. Well, I mean, if you're Iowa, you know, Penn State nearly got them. And Michigan had to have a come from behind drive in the final six minutes. And Iowa's got a terrific defense, just like Penn State does. 
So if you're Iowa, that's the game plan. I mean, you'll probably struggle to score more than 20. So you got to keep the score down. And then, you know, Michigan's made some mistakes. I mean, they screwed up the Michigan State game and they nearly screwed up the Penn State game. So Michigan's a better team. They should win. But, you know, once again, who's the pressure on? Final 15 minutes, if it's a one-score game, who's the pressure on? It's on Michigan. Yeah, I mean, because if I were a fan, if I will lose this game, so what? But if Michigan loses this game, somebody's getting that playoff spot. It might be, I mean, so ultimately. Well, if, if Michigan loses, I think Notre Dame's going to the playoff. You know, that's, oh. I mean, Notre Dame's only one spot out of this playoff, unless Alabama, you know, upsets Georgia. But if Georgia wins, Notre Dame needs one of two two-loss teams to win. They need Baylor or Iowa. And if one of those two teams wins and Georgia wins, Notre Dame's the four seed. <laughs> you imagine if Brian Kelly left Notre Dame and the Iowa shall face in Georgia in New Year's Eve in Miami. Yep. With their defensive coordinator slash interim head coach, <laughs> who, who yeah. basically – will look Notre Dame officials right in the face and say, you've got 10 minutes. Either you give me the job full-time or I'm joining Brian Kelly in Baton Rouge. And then, sure Tommy, and then Tommy Reese is like the interim head coach, and, he, and the Irish don't have already lost the game before it began. Right. Well, if you remember, and it's not exactly the same situation, but Cincinnati went 12-0 in 2009 when Brian Kelly got the Notre Dame job and he bailed immediately, he did not coach Cincinnati in the sugar bowl and Florida destroyed, them. destroyed them. I think Florida was a little peeled with loose Alabama and that you said they were too. Okay. I think they were too, but Notre Dame's not that far out of this thing. They're, they're really not. They need one upset and they're in. So ultimately, uh, who do you think wins on Saturday? Uh, I think Georgia wins. I think Michigan wins. I think Oklahoma State wins. I'll tell you what, Cincinnati's going to have a really tough game. Oh, yeah. Houston, I, Dana Hogan's Houston. got a good team this year. Yep. And all the pressure in the world's on Cincinnati. So I think the Bearcats will win. They don't have a kicker. That could come back to bite them. They, they've managed to get through this year making less than 50% of their field goals, and it has not come back to bite them. But I, I think the favorites will win, and I think that's your playoff. And if that happens, then the playoff would be, I'm guessing Georgia would play Cincinnati in – Georgia would Georgia play Cincinnati, Oklahoma State? Well, I mean, I think they would just move everybody up you know, move Cincy up from four to three. And I think we'll find out tonight. You know, first off, do they drop Alabama? Uh, do they keep them at three and not move them up? If so, they're saying to Alabama, you have to win to make the playoff. If you lose, we're going to throw you out. Also, how close do they put Oklahoma State to Cincinnati? Do they put them right behind them? So that if they win against the top 10 team, they move them ahead of them? Or is there a buffer? Is there at least Notre Dame in between Cincinnati and Oklahoma State? That's worth paying attention to, I believe. Yeah, and plus, you also look at it because if, if let's say, 
Oklahoma State will that four seed next week. Uh, Georgia's not going to play that team in Arlington. They'd rather play that team in Miami. Yep. All right. Thanks for hopping on to join this uh, talk about this college football frenzy. And uh, we want you to safe travels to New Orleans for uh, Cowboy Saints and Atlanta for Georgia Bama. Thanks, D. Appreciate it. All the best. <laughs>